Hey, did you know that plastic is produced with oil? A fossil fuel that pollutes the environment. Wouldn't it just be awesome if we could live our lives without plastic? Well, there's a company that wants to help you do just that. Life Without Plastic. They sell products that will reduce or eliminate your dependence on plastic. They have a large selection of products like toothbrushes, food storage containers, drinking straws. And the best part is that they're also very reasonably priced. So what are you waiting for? Check out all these great plastic-free products and help save the planet. Just click on the link in the show notes to find out more and to start your journey to being plastic-free. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nature Wanderer podcast. I'm Paul, your host. I hope everyone's having a great week. I know I have been. It's been busy. I've been out hiking a lot. I've been spending a lot of time in my backyard exploring, as I always like to do this time of year. The weather's been so nice. We have had some rain, which is good. I like the rain, too. I love sitting on my front porch under the shelter and watching the rain, listening to the rain, or laying in bed early in the morning. You hear the rain falling on the ground, on the patio, in the pond. It's really exciting. And I've been doing some bird banding. I have pretty much wrapped up the nest watch program. In my yard, I've got 20-some boxes, plus I monitor some other nests. The red-tailed hawk baby, if you um, remember, I have a nest, a red-tailed hawk nest in the back of my property, and they did have one baby this year. The baby is gone. It did fledge, so the parents are also gone, and I've had most of the other birds have fledged. There is a renester though. Yeah, my bluebirds did renest. So they do this every year where they'll raise a clutch and then when the babies have fledged, they'll go back to that same nest or sometimes another nest, but usually it's the same nest and lay more eggs. So I do have one nest that I'm still monitoring and that's a bluebird nest. There's three babies in it right now, partially feathered and one egg. So I'm probably going to have to get rid of the egg because it's been long enough. It's not going to hatch. That's a definite. Babies are doing great. I see mom all the time in the yard picking up bugs, getting insects for the babies. Dad too. They're both busy taking care of the young. And it's just been so exciting a bird owl the other night calling in my backyard in my woods. So that was kind of exciting. First time I've heard him this year, him or her. I usually do hear them each year, but for some reason it's been a little late this year. So I did have a bird owl calling. And another thing that hasn't been happening in my backyard, hasn't been happening in our neighborhood, as a matter of fact, it hasn't been happening here in the U.S., something that I find pretty interesting, pretty fascinating, is if you've been watching the news, you may know that a volcano erupted again in Iceland. Iceland, the land of fire and ice. It's an exciting place. I actually had a chance back in mid, uh, early mid-June, I had a chance to go visit Iceland. My brother actually lives there part of the year. My brother lives in Seattle, Washington, 
and he was traveling many years ago, and he was on his way to Europe and Iceland Air. They had a program, they still have it, where you can go to Europe or any other destination, and they will give you a free layover up to a week in Iceland. It's kind of a way for them to get people to explore their country. So he went and stayed at an Airbnb, and he ended up connecting with this lady who ran the Airbnb. And they just were so good together that they ended up getting married. So my sister-in-law is actually Icelandic. So my brother spends, and his wife, they spend half their time in Seattle and half their time in Iceland. So we decided back in June to visit Iceland and visit my brother. And we, we were hoping to see the volcano that had erupted, but it was long cooled off. We were actually planning on doing this trip a few years ago, but that's when COVID hit and all the flights were canceled and we were not comfortable going on a vacation to another country. And so we had to cancel it. And that's about the time when the volcano was erupting there. And my brother got to see it. He actually said it was a kind of a neat experience with the country being shut down because you could still travel. It's a big, wide open country. Lots of places to go where there are no people. And he said because no one was traveling into the country, all the tourist sites were shut down. And he could actually go see them without a lot of people there. And it was absolutely beautiful to do that. But anyhow, the volcano, he, him and his wife, they hiked up and saw an actual erupting volcano. And I thought that's exciting, but unfortunately we missed it. So when we were back in June... We were planning on going up to where the volcano had erupted, but as we were traveling and visiting some other parts of Iceland, we discovered that we're seeing a lot of these lava fields already. So it just didn't make sense to go on this long hike to see another lava field when we've already seen it. So we ended up staying a little over a week. We got back here and just... A few weeks after we got back, in late June, early July, another volcano erupted. Now, if you look at a map of Iceland, the southwest corner is where the capital is, Reykjavik. And we're Reykjavik, and my brother lives about half an hour outside of Reykjavik. Um, they also have an apartment in Reykjavik, but anyhow... If you look at a map, you'll see Reykjavik in the southwest corner. And then down below and a little bit further west of Reykjavik, you're going to see a peninsula. That's where the airport is, out on that peninsula. And right now, that is a hot spot for volcanoes. The volcano that erupted a few years ago is right in that area. And this new volcano is also in the same area. It's in a deserted valley right next to a mountain called, and you'll have to excuse me, the Icelandic language is very confusing to me. And a lot of little hashtags or whatever over some of the letters and squiggles over letters. And it really, you have to understand the language to know how to pronounce some things. The little town that my brother and his wife have their summer house in, it doesn't sound anything like it's spelled at least in my opinion. This mountain is called Likli Krutor. Likli Krutor. And I 
think I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, like I said, it's not an easy language. But if you go on YouTube, you can actually watch the volcano. They have live cameras on it. They did this with the last volcano, too. Now, I'm kicking myself that we left so early. I wish we had, but you never know when these volcanoes are going to erupt. They do have a lot of eruptions there. It's exciting to watch on YouTube, but I can imagine what it's like in person, too. Now, they're very cautious about the volcano erupting. They do allow you to go up there. It's a six-mile hike, and I haven't been able to figure out whether it's six miles round trip or six miles one way. I believe it's a round trip hike, so three miles in three miles back out. The hike would be worth it, in my opinion, but you have to be careful. I mean, you're talking hot lava. You step in it, you are gone. <laughs> Your foot's going to burn right off. It can get to be anywhere from like 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit to over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. You're talking really hot stuff. So you don't want to be stepping in it. You don't want to get too close to it. And another problem is the fumes from it, the gases that are formed when a volcano is erupting. If you breathe them in too much, you can die from it. So they do have a lot of cautions. They don't let you get too close to it. Although the last volcano eruption, I remember watching it on YouTube and people were like walking right up to it, standing right next to the lava. I don't think I would do that, but it would be kind of neat to see. So someday I'll get back there. Like I said, my brother lives there, so I have plenty of opportunities to go, plenty of reasons to go. I will get back to Iceland and see a volcano erupting. It's on my bucket list. So get on YouTube, watch that volcano eruption. It's pretty cool if you haven't heard anything about it. But I want to talk about Iceland in general and my experience, my wanderings through the country of Iceland. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why they call it the land of ice and fire. I mean, it's amazing how it has these volcanoes erupting. You have a lot of volcanic activity there. There's signs of it everywhere. Yet there's also glaciers there. There's a lot of cold, snow. The winters, my brother was telling me, he's like, yeah, I don't know why anyone comes and visits in the winter. My niece actually went to visit them in the middle of winter, and he thought she was crazy. He's shown me pictures of the winds whipping through and the snow drift, which is almost as tall as the house, is just crazy there in the winter sometimes. Not every winter. But I know when we went to Iceland on the way through Iceland, we were actually headed to Portugal, and on the way through Iceland, we had to stop over at Iceland. It was a 10-hour stopover. That's just crazy. But we had a 10-hour stopover, so my brother said, well, I'll come and pick you up at the airport. I'll show you some of the sites, and then you can go back to the airport and you know, go through security again, head on to your journey, and then I'll see you again when you, on your way back through. So it was on the way back from Portugal where we stayed there much longer. We stayed a little over a week. But that 10-hour layover, I mean, we were half asleep. We don't sleep well on planes. Um, it was like 5 in the morning that we arrived in Iceland. The second time was actually 2 in the morning. So it was just the crazy flights that we had. But anyhow, 
we get to Iceland early in the morning. My brother picked us up um, probably about an hour after we arrived. I wasn't going to make him get up early just to grab us. And he gave us a little bit of a tour of the southern part of Iceland. And when we were there that first time, luckily, because we packed the light, he had extra winter jackets and he brought them. I'm so thankful for that because it was probably in the 40s when we got there the first time. Now, a week later when we returned and we spent the week there, it was more in the 60s and even into the 70s a few days. And he said that's about what the summers are like there. So it is a cold country. Weird though, Iceland, it's actually got a lot of green. <laughs> Greenland, hardly any green. It's mostly snow. So someone named them wrong. But anyhow, Iceland, when we were there the first time, he took us for a tour around the southern, southwestern, I should say, peninsula. So not too far from the airport. We did go into Reykjavik and saw some of the big sites in Reykjavik. We walked around the town a little bit. But getting to Reykjavik, we were driving along and we stopped at a couple of areas, like a lava field. And it almost looked, it's like when we got off the airplane and we got onto into my brother's car and we started driving on this road. I mean, we didn't take the main road right into Reykjavik. He wanted to show us the outskirts of Iceland, get the feel for the country. And it's like almost immediately he said to us, welcome to the moon. Yeah, and that's exactly what it looked like. It looked like you were on the moon. You had all these lava fields all over around you. There was moss growing on it. And so you had this kind of eerie looking green and black and trees. What are those? Yeah, there are a few trees in Iceland, but you don't see a lot of forests. There are some. We did see some forests, but there's not a lot of trees there. It's kind of hard to grow a tree when you have nothing but hard volcanic ash in the ground. But we did come across, we, we came across this one pollen area, and we parked, and we saw these th this river, which we walked the trail going along this very small river, and there was all these little pools, and there's steam coming off it. Now, remember, it's 40 degrees out, so there'd be steam coming off of just about anything, but this was a lot of steam. And as soon as you got out of the car, all you could smell was the sulfur. There was sulfur smell in the air. That's because what we were witnessing were hot springs. They were basically water that was being heated by the underground lava. So the earth underneath, it was heating up all this water. That is how most of the southern part of the country of Iceland is. It's got these hot springs. It's like we saw them everywhere. And as we're driving along, now, mind you, I'm half asleep still. Um, I, I think Bev, my wife, was fully asleep at a few points. She, she says, I barely remember what we did that first day. We were driving around, and you see in the distance all this steam coming up in different areas. And you know that's what it is. It's these hot springs heated up by the hot lava just under the ground. 
So let's go back to when we were in middle school, maybe early high school with earth science. Okay, let's talk some earth science. And what is the middle of the earth made of? What I mean, we see the grass, we see the mountains, we see the water. This is what we call the crust, what we see every day. Now, the middle of the earth is solid, the inner core. Just outside of that is what we call the outer core, which is a liquid. And then you have the lower mantle and the upper mantle. And then finally, covering all this is the crust. Now, the mantle underneath the crust is essentially dirt. Um, it can be rock. It's often, it, it is solid. And then below that, the outer core is the liquid. That's where the lava is. That's where the heat is. That's where it's all coming from. And you get cracks in these mantles. Okay, the lower and upper mantle, you get these cracks going through the mantle, and this lava will push up through those cracks and through the crust, and that's how you get a volcano when you get a crack in there. So why are you getting these cracks? Why are you getting so much activity in Iceland? Well, certain areas get these cracks more often, and usually it's because of Back to our science again, tectonic plates. So you have these different sections of the earth. Let's see if I can explain this easily. It's almost like you took a bunch of plates and you stuck them together like a puzzle. Where the two pieces of the puzzle meet, there's a crack there. And that's always shifting along that ridge. So the tectonic plates are always moving. They're moving in different directions. If you look at a map of the world the way it used to look thousands of years ago, the continents were in different places, and they actually pulled apart. So if you look at the east coast of the United States and Canada and South America, it looks... And we're looking at a world map here. It looks like it would actually fit. If you squeezed it together, it would fit in with Africa and Europe. So it's almost like it pulled apart there. So you have these tectonic plates. And the different continents are on the tectonic plates. Matter of fact, if you look at a map with the tectonic plates, you'll see there's the North American tectonic plate. There's the European plate. There's African plate, South American plate. Well, if you look at the map and you look at Iceland, the Eurasian plate and the North American plate actually go right through Iceland. So they're shifting there. The two plates are shifting. Matter of fact, Iceland used to be part of Greenland, but they pulled apart because of this tectonic plate movement. Iceland has this plate, this division. You can actually stand on one continent, the Eurasian continent, one minute and walk just a few feet and you're on the North American continent. It's, it's pretty interesting to think about it. Matter of fact, I did that when I was in Iceland. Yeah, well, I was half asleep that first 
day that we were there, when my brother was kind of giving us the quick tour, we went to this one area and you saw this ditch going across the landscape. And there was a bridge, parking lot, you know, and you walk over to this bridge and this bridge went across this little ditch. And as you walk across, there's a sign in the middle. Welcome to the North American plate, North American continent. And of course, there's other signs talking all about the tectonic plates. And it was really kind of interesting. So I actually had one fit, foot in North America and the other foot in Europe at, at one point. So I, 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 can, I wonder how many other people can say that. Yeah, there's quite a few because they have that bridge there. So it was kind of interesting. But what's happening is these plates are shifting. And as they're shifting, and it's not something that you can see with the naked eye. But through measurements, they have seen how much it shifts each year. The plates, because of the slow shifting, it forms cracks in the continent. And because of that, the lava, the center core of the Earth, not the very center, remember, the very center is solid. The outer core is what I'm talking about. That's where all the liquid molten lava is flowing, and it finds these cracks, and from the pressure, it just pushes it up. And eventually what happens is the crust breaks open, and here it comes, and that's when you have an eruption, a volcano erupting. Now, I have seen volcanoes before. Usually they're dormant when I see them, but I have seen them before. This would have been the first time that I would have seen one actually erupting. When I was a teenager, I actually did go with my brother and my mother to Hawaii, and we did visit some of the volcanoes there, but none of them were erupting when we were there, at least not that I saw. So I also saw some volcanoes in Iceland when we were there, and I saw some volcanoes when we were out west uh, a couple years ago when we did a trip out west. We saw some volcanoes out there, but once again, not active. So I still have not seen an active volcano. I will, though, in Iceland eventually. So that's what's happening with the Earth's crust. I just wanted to go back to Earth science, kind of explain it. What you have is you have these cracks, and the outer core where all the molten lava is is pushing its way up through these cracks and eventually comes out onto land. Now, once it cools, now remember, this is really hot, but eventually it does cool. It takes a while. When it cools, it's basically forming new land. And that's how a lot of mountains are formed sometimes. New land is formed. This is a country that is constantly being changed, reborn, have new land formed on it. So it's really interesting to see this moonscape and see how things have changed over the years. So this is where the land of fire and ice comes from. We're talking the fire here, the volcanoes. Once again, go on YouTube, watch it in real time. It's fascinating to see it. Now, the other part of this whole thing is you do have a lot of this heat and these cracks under the ground 
So they're heating up the groundwater. And the groundwater is forming in these pools. And you have these hot pools. Probably the most popular, the most well-known is the Blue Lagoon. Now, when I travel, I don't like crowds. I like to see nature. I like to see the sights. Yeah, I do go into the cities and I do see some of the big touristy attractions, but I like to go places kind of off the beaten path. So the Blue Lagoon just didn't seem to be the place for me. Both my wife and I wanted to check out these hot springs, actually go in the hot springs. We purposely brought our bathing suits to a place that we knew was not going to get very warm, but we did purposely bring them. And it was just that we could check out these hot springs. And we found out that the Blue Lagoon was way overpopulated. I mean, maybe that's for you, that's fine. But for me and my wife, now we like kind of off the beaten path things. Well, we found out from my brother that not too far from his summer house, there is a hot spring creek. So you go to this creek and there's a path going all the way to it. It's probably about a mile hike to get up to the actual hot springs, but you see these little hot springs along the way too. You just aren't supposed to go in those. And I can see why I actually did go down to the creek a couple of times just to feel the temperature of the water. It was still kind of cool there. We finally made it up to this area where they had some boardwalks, they had some changing areas. Uh, if you want to get out of your suit or you didn't have your suit on on the way up because it was too cold, they had all this area and then they had where you could actually go into the creek. And we did. We had our suits on. We went into the creek and you could lay there in the creek. I mean, laying down, it was just a little bit over your chest, over your body. It was hot. Really, really hot. You could smell the sulfur. Supposedly, the minerals in the water actually help for ailments, sore bones, sore muscles. Um, it, it supposedly does help you, which is why a lot of people like these hot springs. We went to a hot spring, just as a side note here, we did go to a hot spring when we were out west in Montana, but it was really disappointing because they actually put these hot springs into swimming pools. So they weren't natural. It's like going into a heated swimming pool. I mean, you could smell the sulfur, you had the minerals in there, but it just seems artificial to me. These were real hot springs in Iceland. So you had this stream, this creek, that was coming down the mountain, and the higher up you got, they told you, yeah, don't go in the water way up here because it was way too hot. It would have scalded you. But the area we went in, you just laid there, and we were in for probably like 15 minutes, and we had to get out for a few, few minutes because it was just so hot. I mean, I was sweating in there. And the temperatures were probably in the lower 60s, upper 50s. It wasn't a hot day. It's just that water was so hot. And you could just see the steam coming off. Now, we got there early in the morning, so it was kind of nice. We, there weren't a lot of people. We found a spot almost right away. But as we were leaving, we probably stayed there about half an hour, 45 minutes. 
you couldn't stand too long. It was just way too hot. Um, we got changed because we didn't want to walk in the cold and wet clothes because it's a mile hike down the hill. By the time we left, the place was just packed. It was a lot of people. But all this water is being heated by this lava action, this, this geothermal action. So geothermal is everywhere in Iceland. Geothermal is how they heat their houses. In my brother's house, there's these registers along the wall. And what they do is they pump this hot water coming out of the ground. They just pump it through these radiators along the walls and it heats the whole house. So it's very inexpensive heating of the houses and the water. I actually, the one day I turned on the hot water and I had to turn on the cold right away because the water was so hot that you needed to compensate with some cold water as well. And I, you know, was washing my hands in it and I turned it off. I touched the metal faucet and it was like scalding hot. I actually burned my finger on it. That's how hot this water gets. Um, they create electricity with it. So the electricity is dirt cheap in Iceland. My brother said one of the biggest industries is aluminum in Iceland. They don't have aluminum there. They don't mine it. But companies will actually put it on. They will mine it somewhere else. They put it on these boats, bring it into Iceland, and then they process it in Iceland. The reason is it's very electric intensive to process aluminum into the forms we use, like aluminum foil. The electricity is so cheap in Iceland that they can do this process fairly inexpensive and it's worth shipping it all the way there. All of this is because of geothermal. Matter of fact, my house is heated with geothermal. I have tubes in my backyard that run. Um, it's about a 400-foot loop, and it's about six feet under the ground. It goes all the way out. I have four loops. They come into my house, and they go into a heat pump. I'm basically grabbing the heat from the ground, even in the wintertime when it's 30 degrees or below. The earth stays warm. Below three feet, the earth will stay the same temperature, around 40, 50 degrees. So it's heating up this water that's being pumped through these pipes. And that comes into my house, into the heat pump, which just condenses it, causing a little extra heat. So it adds a little extra heat to it. That is what we call geothermal heating. So it can be done here too, but in Iceland, oh, it, it's, it's done everywhere because they have the ability, the capability of doing it because they have this warm heat underneath the ground, this geothermal field underneath the ground, not too far down. There were restaurants that they actually had signs up advertising that we cook with geothermal. It's just amazing. You know, but you have to be careful. There's an area just outside of the town where my brother lives that has some hot springs, and you can go see them. But now they fence it off so that you can't go right up to them. Apparently, a few years ago, someone accidentally 
fell into one and scalded himself so bad, um, ended up being hospitalized. So they now fence it off because it is dangerous. Well, friends, I guess I had a lot more to talk about than I thought I did about Iceland. It was just such an amazing journey, an amazing wandering for me. So I had a lot to talk about, and I realized as I was editing that I went way over my half-hour limit that I try to keep to. So this episode is going to be a two-parter. Join me next week as I talk a little bit more about the highlands and some of the volcanic activity. So we're going to talk about fire and ice once again next week. So thanks for joining me today. Hope you enjoyed wandering with me in Iceland. Don't forget to invite your nature-loving friends to join us next week. And if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Take a minute to rate and review the podcast. If you have any nature questions or ideas for future episodes, Drop me a DM. My Instagram page, the nature wander underscores in between each word. Or you can reach me at my website, thenaturewanderer.org. Sorry, no the naturewanderer.org. You can also support the podcast by joining my Patreon or going to my Ko-Fi page. Both links are in the show notes. Show your support of the podcast by wearing a Nature Wander t-shirt or sweatshirt. Those can be found at my store, which is linked from the show notes and my website. Have a great week and keep exploring the nature around you. Hello, nature lovers. Do you love to read books like I do? I've always enjoyed reading books ever since I was a kid, especially books about nature. Unfortunately, as I get older, I find myself with less and less time to sit down with a good book. I've solved that problem with Audible. Audible allows you to listen to your favorite titles while you are driving at the gym, taking a walk, wherever you are. With all the latest titles, you'll have quite a selection to choose from. And they have podcasts, too. Start listening today with a free 30-day trial. To get your free 30-day trial, go to the show notes and click on the link. Happy listening. <laughs>